0: a Butt. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best. So I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. You know, for the past 10 years, we've been told having anywhere between 10 and 15 drinks a week is still considered healthy. But a new study shows we should actually be drinking way less More like just, I don't know, one or two weeks to a week. But does that mean you're risking your life if you have more, or are these just updated guidelines? To help us understand exactly what this means and why the guidelines changed, we'll be speaking with Dr. Adam Shirk, a scientist with the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, who was involved in this study. And you know, it's been almost a year since the beginning of the war in Ukraine, and over 12 million people have been displaced. But what about the animals? all the pets people were forced to leave behind in an active war zone. Dan Fine is the founder of the Ukraine War Animal Relief Fund, and he's actually risked his life by going to this dangerous area to help not only treat and save these beautiful animals, but also help eradicate a deadly disease. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. I want to start off by saying... um, The stuff that we talk about here, it's really designed to engage uh, the audience in some way, either by listening and participating in their thoughts or by giving us a call and texting. So when I throw it out to you and I say, hey, give us a call here at 877-399-9898 or text at 877-399-9898 because I really want to hear from you. It's not because of any other reason other than I love to hear from you all and I know that uh, I'm connecting if somehow you connect back with me. And just it's a good way for a relationship to work. I talk, you listen, you talk, I listen. It's kind of the healthy way stuff's supposed to go. Speaking of healthy ways, let's talk about ways that adolescents can engage with social media in a healthy way. Because according to Professor Adria Dunbar, she's talking about tips. She's the assistant professor, by the way, of of, uh, counselor education education in uh, NC State College of Education, North Carolina State <clears throat> College of Education. She works with, as part of her research on issues related to social media, report that they can spend, kids report that they can spend up to three hours at a time on any given day on social media. That's a lot of time, right? Not just kids, by the way. I think uh, some of us adults have that same thing going on. So with more schools moving to a one-to-one technology model, right? Um I, you know, like I can see it with the youth uh, that I work with, uh, for example. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Not so long ago, several weeks ago, I was doing a one-on-one session by video uh, with um, uh, a young person in their, in their teens uh, through Recover In Home, which is our uh, in-home recovery program. Anyway, um, and I could see that they were doing something else while we were engaged together in video, you know, on video. So it was, you know, me me sharing some strategies and skills. We were talking about particular issues around an an issue at school and with the parents. But I could see that they were doing something else. And I said, like, are you playing video games? And the patient replied, "Uh, no, I'm not playing video games. I'm just talking to my girlfriend and sending her back a message. I'm like, you know, that's not cool. Because if I did that and you did that, you and I would be sitting here staring at each other. Uh, I wouldn't be earning my keep, and you wouldn't be getting any therapy. So, uh, anyway, we we talked about it, and it worked itself through, and she settled down, or they settled down, and uh, we were able to uh, get back to what we needed to do. But kid, you know, kids can easily be, um, you know, distracted. So if they're in the middle of a technology, uh, you know, delivered uh, educational mo- module or, or or some form of, of of course outline or course information and they get a text message or an email or something or something on social from one of their friends, it's going to grab their attention, right? So the state of hyper-awareness can be damaging to kids, while being in a number of ways, including experiencing lack of sleep, catering to an invisible audience, and feeling a constant sense of obligation to others. Teens' social media use needs to be occasionally disrupted, according to Dunbar, that's Adria, Adria Dunbar, she's that professor we talked about, whose research focused on innovation in counseling and the impact of social media use on teens. She's found actually that many teens report uh, feelings of self doubt and anxiety around social media. Uh, they often maintain multiple accounts with different uh, content shared with different, you know, different groups. Smaller networks of friends, maybe not with all their friends. So they have an account that they share with this group and a different account that they share with this group. Anyway, it's especially true where their public profiles make them feel overwhelmed or overexposed. So these feelings, the teens reported, came from comparing themselves to others, leading into question uh, why they may not feel as happy as those they see on social media. Why don't I seem to be having as much fun as others and so on? So they struggle a bit with uh, these things um, and they you know try to compare themselves with the people that they're following. At the same time, though, Dunbar notes that social media can be a benefit for some adolescents, and I believe this to be true, by the way, especially true for teens living in more isolated uh, situations, locations, and so on. Um, those, you know, that uh, such as uh, those teens with LGBT, LGBTQ, uh, or teens experiencing other symptom, symptoms of chronic or physical illness or mental issues. So social media for them can allow them to connect with others going through similar experiences. So if in a particular group and you're feeling somewhat isolated or not accepted, you know, social media can extend to groups and opportunities for you to share, right? And when you're able to share, you feel like you belong. When you feel like you belong, you don't feel so isolated. You don't feel so worthless. If you know what I'm talking about, and you've got something going on with one of your one of your kids or a kid that you know or even your own situation, uh, give us a call. Give us a text here right now, uh, 877-399-9898. Leo's here standing by. Would love to say hello. So to help adolescents in the process, we suggest parents first examine their own social media use and habits. I've always said that, you know, young people are are a result of the um, parenting that's modeled by their parents, one or both. So in terms of being at your best, let me tell you that the kind of quality parenting that you do will have a direct impact on the type of children you raise and what they, how, for the most part, in some ways, how you form them uh, as they grow into adulthood. So, in terms of being at your best, you want your kids to be at your best. You got to demonstrate the same behaviors that you want from them. So, if you yell and scream at your kids, I'm not suggesting you do. I'm just throwing it out there. If you raise your voice or in some way aren't, you know, uh, don't have the patience that you think uh, you should have, guess what? Your kids are going to grow up like that too, in some way, shape, or form. Not all of them, not all of the time, but many, many times. Have you ever tried to limit your own social media use? What keeps you on social media? These are questions you ask yourself. Have you ever thought about completely getting off of social media and felt like you couldn't, you couldn't pull away from it? I know people that have to check their stuff regularly, or they feel like they're disconnected. Like, oh my god, I haven't spoken to somebody like in almost an hour. I'm not making fun. I'm telling you, this is reality, right? Have you ever felt pressured to like something or comment on something? when he didn't want to, because all your, all your crew were, everyone that was on that, that thread or that, that, that uh, blog or whatever, that, that uh, message that you're communicating through and, and with with, uh, one of the platforms and and someone throws out a question or looks for a comment and everyone's commenting, but you, you kind of feel like, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, I want to weigh in on it too, but I really don't want to. But if I don't, everyone's going to say, how come Yona didn't weigh in? Right. Anyway. So Dunbar, this, Scientist that we're talking about, the researcher, suggests that they again engage adults engage in open communication with their children. Pose the same questions to them, attempting to understand what drives them, right? So, for example, have you ever tried limiting your social media? What keeps you you the same stuff, right? Have you ever thought about completely getting off social media? Talk to a kid about that and see how they respond, right? So um, I think that's what's important here is that parents understand, don't be afraid to ask questions doesn't have to be like a giant sit down and, you know, an OMG moment where, oh my gosh, we're going to sit down and have the talk. No, it just should be kind of like cool and easy, you know, it doesn't have to, hey man, like what have you been watching these days? You know, like what, what, and what's, ca- you know, what's capturing young people these days on TikTok? Why is that more intriguing than Instagram, for example? Like I, I want to learn, I, you know, you ask questions and your parents then, um, that your parents then have the opportunity, right, to to uh, engage and the kids engage with you. And it's a discussion. It's not a debate. It doesn't become an argument. You feeling me? Anyway, so many things we can be doing. It's just really important that we pay attention. you got to reduce the amount of, sleep, of social media time or time on, uh, you know, on on uh, on the sites, uh, keep in mind the other things about social media that uh, you have to understand. It's you know wh- what they're looking at is based on the kind of values you believe in as a family and so on.
1: To alcohols, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems.
0: Well, there you heard it from Homer Simpson. Like there's an absolute expert on everything. Uh, Homer says this alcohol is the start of and the solution to all of life's problems. I don't know. You think so? You think it's a solution? You think it's a problem causer versus a problem solver? I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff being talked about these days. And uh, if you're not sure who I am and what I do, but I, you know, I deal with people that have issues with them struggling with mental health issues and, and uh, struggle with a uh, substance abuse disorder, often alcohol use disorder. So, you know, the folks that I talk to for the most part are drinking a bottle or two or three uh, in the course of an evening or, you know, a case of beer, or 10 beer, 12 beer, 14 beer, one or two drinks a week to the, with the folks that I'm talking to, it's not even, it's not even on the top of their mind. It's not even something that they can comprehend. And I'll tell you, I've been talking to a bunch of folks this week. I was on, my friend John Oakley's show here in Toronto at uh, on 6.40 a.m. on the Global Network. Um, John is uh, a master at uh, talk radio. Uh, anyway, we're having a, a great conversation in studio. It was actually, as an aside, my first time in studio since the pandemic has been over. I uh, had a great first time in studio live with a, a host you know, interviewing me. It was, it was amazing. It was great. Anyway, aside from that, uh, we talked about this whole study going on and the release of information that talks about um, drinking more than two standard drinks a week isn't good for you, and that alcohol is now considered a carcinogen. Yeah, it's uh, going to cause cancer, apparently, right? Um, So as far as I'm concerned, it's something we definitely need to talk about uh, because people are very confused with what's up with all of this. Um, And, you know, where, where I'm coming from, right? Where I'm coming from, it's just a matter of uh, understanding where the where the study comes from, What what's kind of behind it all. Uh, so it's coming from the Canadian Center on Substance Use and Addiction, CCSA. And they're the ones that are talking about uh, more than two standard drinks a week or equivalent of 13.45 grams of pure alcohol at a time is associated with increased risks. Ah. <sighs> Trying to get through it. Like, so, and they, the report is an updated to Canadian, Canada's low-risk alcohol drinking guidelines that was published in 2011. So the new report uh, puts us out at two drinks per week. Um, and that comes after two years of research, nearly 6,000 peer-reviewed studies and about 1,000 survey submissions from the public. Part of the pop project was funded by Health Canada. Not really quite sure why they why they, why they did it. What, what, you know, caused the study to, to come apart. You know, there was a study done before. Uh, I'm not sure if people suddenly were getting really sick and someone said, Hey, we need to study this or, um, what defines, you know, what, what's the motive behind the study such as this anyway. So the definition of a standard drink, so we're on the same page here. Okay. The definition of a standard drink in Canada is equivalent to a bottle of beer a glass of wine so they don't say how big that glass of wine is a shot glass of spirits or a bottle of cider then they go on to say uh, to harm to the harm to yourself and others is moderate meaning 1 in 100 so what's that 10% no it's 1% 1 in 100 i did the math right 1 in 100 risk of premature death so it's hard to understand why, you know, someone who has a glass of wine in an evening, if they can tolerate wine and they're at the stage of their life where they, you know, they they can relax in the evening and have a nice drink with dinner, uh, you know, three to five ounces of alcohol, maybe, uh, or three to five ounces of wine, excuse me, not of alcohol. So um, I'm not quite sure really what we're, what, what you know, where we go from that to two drinks a week uh, is the new number. So, so because there was a time, right? There was a time not so long ago. I mean, when I was a kid, there was a time when, you know, people were told to have a half a glass of wine every night. Uh, You know, my mom in in her day and, you know, in her seventies, her doctor said that, you know, if she, you know, maybe a half a bottle of beer in the evening would be good for her good for her health. So I'm not sure what that was to counteract, but obviously for something. Uh, but anyway, the one in 100 risk of premature death. So if you have three to six drinks weekly, uh, according to CCSA, um, they, as you increase the intake, the risks grow higher, more steeply for women than men above when they go over six per week. Right. So yeah, I'm not quite sure uh, how that all works. Right. But um you know, it's it's definitely something that um, we got to look at here further. Okay, so people have a right to know less is better, and that there's a harm reduction strategy that people can use to decrease uh, the amount they drink in order to improve their health and well-being. That's according to Dr. Peter Butt. He's the co-chair of the project to develop Canada's alcohol guidance. So previous Canadian guidelines implemented and. Um, implemented in 2011, considered up to two drinks uh, a day or 10 a week for women and three drinks daily or 15 a week for men as low risk. So that's not a lot of years ago, right? So what do we know, right? So it's it's not really a question of, um, what are we talking about here? So we have to figure out where this all came from, right? I'm not sure where all this is coming from. As far as I'm concerned, I, I I'm trying to figure out where we went from all of this to uh to to two. So anyway, that 2011. What is that? We're uh, 23, so it's 12 years ago. The updated guidance aims to provide an evidence base for future alcohol policies. So again, trying to understand what what led to it. Like if if suddenly there were you know there was a concern with health. Uh, the health department, right? Uh, Overwhelming evidence confirms that when it comes to drinking drinking less uh, alcohol, less consumption means less risk of harm from alcohol. Well, sure. I mean, it makes sense. If you drink less, there's less chance that alcohol is going to have some impact on you. But again, I'm still not finding the data that says a person who has a half a glass of wine every evening is uh, is someone who's at risk of hurting themselves, right? And it even goes on here later. and We'll, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in the next segment. Um, uh, but how this is how that how they're not talking about putting um, guidance um, information or or cautions, if you will, on on labels, so people know that alcohol might cause cancer. So it's a whole another discussion we'll get to here, I'm sure, when we come back from break. But uh, pregnant women, right? Pregnant women. Um, who are trying to, or people who are trying to get pregnant are advised to completely refrain from drinking, because alcohol can cause birth defects and could have lifelong impacts on the fetus. Okay, so we know that when someone's pregnant, typically they're not uh, they're not um, uh, you know they're not supposed to really be drinking alcohol or eating acidic foods or smoking or being around people that are smoking. That's a really bad one too. Uh, so, if you're, you know, if you're breastfeeding, for example, drinking on occasion, is acceptable, but no alcohol is probably safest for your baby, right? It goes without saying, it takes about two hours for the alcohol to leave the body and breast milk after it's consumed, okay? So, what we're looking at here is an understanding of this study, and I'm trying to figure out where we've gone from, you know, a drink an evening which is what you know a doctor would say to you back in the day. A drink in the evening is not a big deal. Now we're finding out more than two a week is not healthy. So when we come back from break here in just a minute, we're going to talk about the health risks and the effects of drinking alcohol on the body. According to this study, we can debate it a little bit. You can give me a call. We can talk about it, 877-399-9898. Love to talk with you about it. You think one or two drinks is a lot or not enough, too many Maybe not. We shouldn't have anything at all. Who knows, right? Like I guess if you, you know, if you, if you're afraid of everything that you see and do, maybe it affects you that way. We're talking here about this alcohol thing, uh, this uh, study of alcohol and. Um, interesting and what's what's what the study shows uh, as it relates to um, people drinking right and whether they should be drinking uh, more or less uh, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting look here it's an interesting study uh, that we're talking about um, and trying to figure out exactly um, what's going on let's let's have a listen to this clip here for a sec we were also very shocked about how um, how much different and how far we've come in the science um, since 2011, and um, you know, frankly, we're like, wow, like how you know, how are we going to get people <laughs> to drink two drinks a week? Yeah, so there you go. It's, uh, it's 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 a long way from where we are to where they want to get to, uh, as it relates to not just the study, but the study has to be something that um, I guess is not, I shouldn't say enforceable but something you can market against, right? Like there's, you've got to be able to figure out a way that you can actually convince people that um, that they want to uh, to drink less, right? And I just, there's no real you know, other way to look at it. It's one thing to come up with a study. You know, when when they came up with the, the study around tobacco use, and then they came around, to, you know, came up with a campaign to address, you know, consumption of cigarettes in young people and just in adults and everybody, you know, they had some pretty strong evidence i am not getting that the evidence here uh is compelling enough it certainly didn't jump out at me it wasn't compelling enough to um for me to say okay yeah like i get i get it right so um give you an example here uh something as an aside what the world's oldest woman who just died of uh, at 118 118 the world's oldest woman she swore by daily chocolate and a glass of wine every day so you know what I love chocolate. If I could have a piece of chocolate, I don't drink alcohol, but if I have a piece of chocolate and something else, and uh I guess maybe I should start drinking wine. I don't know, it's probably not a great idea for me right now. But uh, 118, that's you know that that certainly makes her a serious expert, right? And you know, and have we become culturally desensitized to the use of alcohol? You know, is it just something that, you know, everybody does, right? It's just what people do. They drink, right? So it's not such a simple thing to say that two drinks is where we need to be. Uh, Kevin, uh, our friend in Ontario, texted us and says here, uh, uh, everyone's an expert in in their own mind, right? So everyone's got a reason to find something wrong with something. I had uh, had a a patient not long ago, actually a a coaching client not long ago, tell me that um, his doctor suggested that maybe he take Uh, some time off of his exercise because you know you know working out every day um, although he had a he has a tremendous trainer and and regime and so on uh, in terms of his workout routine and such and the doctor said you know maybe it just might be a little compulsive might just be a little too much and of course it got into my guy's head and he's like yona my doctor thinks i have a compulsive disorder and next thing i'm talking to the parents and find out the truth so you know what It's, it's it's it, it, this, this is an interesting study. It's something we want to talk about, something we need to share. But I'm wondering if it's creating more anxiety for people going, OMG, I can't believe it. I have a beer every night with my dinner. You know, am I going to die of cancer now? Like there's people that think I'm not making fun at all. Please, I'm being, I'm really being truthful here. There, there are people out there. Come on, you're, not, you're shaking your head at me all. I can see you're doing it. Listen, you know, there's people out there. Uh, I know people, I'm one of those people out there that when you hear about something like this, and if, if I was someone who was drinking every day, I for sure would be all in my head about, oh my God, like, did I do that? Am I making myself sick? Anyway, what are the actual health effects of drinking alcohol? Negative health impacts of alcohol for those who consume it and others around them. I like that. So, just you should know that mental health issues, mental health disease, alcohol use issues, alcohol use disease, and uh, all substance use diseases, or any impulsive, negative behaviors, gambling, texting, sexting, eating disorders, and so on. If you're in a family environment, you're and you're fortunate to have family around you to support you. These kinds of diseases are family diseases. Everyone gets to play, as they say. So it impacts as people impact around the for the people around you. Excuse me. And for those obviously who consume it directly, alcohol. So here's what the, the report says: Alcohol can affect various organs, putting people at increased risk of uh, cirrhosis, pancreatitis, gastrointestinal inflammation, heart disease, multiple cancers, as well as injury from falls, violence, and motor vehicle crashes. According to research compiled by the CCSA. Okay, so am I the am I the only one? Give us a, give me a text or a call here eight seven seven three nine 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 eight nine eight. Tell Leo you're on the phone and, and chime in here with me, uh, because I'll tell you it, it's it's um, hard you could hard to peg alcohol as a contributor to all of these things with this kind of generalized. You know, sure, if someone is drunk, they stand a better chance of falling, or if someone is is is, is inebriated or not at their best, if you will. So there's a difference between having a half a glass of wine. And drinking to the point where you're not at your best, right? So that's where I'm kind of in between. And remember, I'm an addiction counselor. I'm a a crisis guy. I deal with people who are not, you know, in the best of places as it relates to their mental health and substance uses, right? Especially if they're using substances to make their crummy life better, because that's the wrong reason to smoke a joint or have a drink or any of that stuff. So alcohol use was linked to 7,000 new cancer cases in Canada. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that someone who had who got for, you know, uh, unfortunately was diagnosed with with, let's say, breast cancer in this case or 24 percent of them breast cancer cases, 20 percent colon cancer cases, 50 percent rectal cancers, 13 percent oral and liver cancers. Okay, so are these people who are consuming like six glasses a week or six glasses a day? Because this is the kind of stuff I see, right? I see people coming to me with oral and liver issues and and heart issues as such because of their drinking patterns, substance use patterns generally, but drinking in this particular case, that's what we're talking about. So does that mean the 7,000 new cancer cases in Canada all related to alcohol or alcohol was somewhere in their system? See, I don't know, right? Canadian Cancer Society welcomed the new guidelines saying drinking less lowers your risk of cancer. Still don't understand that. Right. I'm still trying to figure it out. And of course, by the way, I'm not any I don't have the, the chops or the background or the skills to, to opine on medical stuff in particular. But I can tell you that, you know, two drinks a week seems like, um, you know, it just seems like an unrealistic standard. I think it has to be based on the person, their size, what they consume in terms of food, um, all that stuff. I'm sure Kevin would agree with me. Um, so appreciate you guys, uh, all of you reaching out as well. And Ron and, and Jimmy and all those other people that have reached out by text to, uh, to say hi, appreciate you being out there. Anyway, people can socialize, uh, can enjoy the company of others without necessarily becoming intoxicated. Again, we seem to be going from two drinks to intoxicated. That's a hell of a stretch. You know, that's a hell of a stretch. You know, intoxicated. What does that mean? How many drinks is intoxicated? I don't know. Someone who's uh, 90 pounds and, you know, five feet tall and doesn't eat very much and, you know, um, you know, probably didn't have a meal before going out, you know, has a couple of glasses of wine, maybe even one stiff glass of wine, six ounces or more, they're going to be potentially tipsy. There's a difference between tipsy and inebriated. So, and and I'm not sure exactly what that level looks like. But according to uh, the experts, the pandemic, of course, had an impact on drinking habits in Canada with stress, boredom, loneliness, all of that stuff we know. People were self-medicating for all kinds of reasons. Um, Anxiety and depression, the the two that we know of the most. Meanwhile, around one in five Canadians also said they have been drinking less than they did pre-pandemic. Among those aged 15 to 29, one third had decreased their consumption, which is a good thing. That's something we're we're interested in in tracking and in, and keeping in the loop here. So anyway, they're now talking about putting uh, cancer warning labels. The new recommendations lay a continuum of risk: three to six drinks a week increase the risk of developing certain cancers, including colorectal, breast cancer. More than seven drinks a week increases your risk of heart disease and stroke. They want this to be put on bottles of alcohol. And people, they, according to the CCSA, people need to count their drinks. They need to know how much they're drinking and keep track because you got to count. Well, everyone's got to know what their comfort zone is. And for some people, one bottle of beer is okay. Some people, a couple of bottles of beer is okay. Everyone's got their own thing. But if you're trying to live within these guidelines and you really want to believe that these guidelines are something that you need to pay attention to, then, hey, you know, um, maybe you got to curb your drinking and See if you can get it down to a couple of times a week. Um, I, 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 again, I, I, it's hard for me to convince anybody that that's where to go because I'm not sure that it applies to everybody across the across the map like that. Um, anyway, we'll see how this rolls out. There's lots of people talking about it. Uh, it's out there on, in the media, and uh, lots of my colleagues are chatting about it on radio, TV, on social media, and so on. So we're going to learn more as we go forward here. My buddy Ron uh, in Vancouver there out in BC, uh, he says intoxicated according to the, his smart device is any alcohol. So thanks, Ron, for letting me know. All of a sudden, the experts are picking on alcohol about uh, the Febreze or, or the cancer-causing chemicals in our food, he goes on to say. I appreciate uh, all of you that are sending in messages. Um, so here's the story. I was sitting with someone not long ago. It was a week or so ago. He and I were having a chat. Talking about a particular instance where um, I had a a patient who came to me who had issues. Uh, The issue that they had is that they uh, have been uh, dating somebody for a year and a half. They finally moved in together. Uh, He became um, alcohol and drug free, which is uh, where our relationship came from or our relationship started and what it became and um, was calling me, he'd been doing great, been sober now, uh, well over uh, 18 months, doing phenomenally well and all the great stuff. So calling me up just to say, listen, I need to talk. I got a situation, situation he has is he's been dating this girl. Really loves, Um, and she's amazing every in every which way, except um, a couple of Saturdays ago. Um, he got up in the middle of the night because she was standing over him, uh, threatening to take his life. She was having a PTSD, uh, traumatic, uh, traumatic, uh, trauma, traumatic stress moment, uh, arising from a dream. Uh, he had no idea that she had uh, trauma, this kind of trauma uh, and had been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. So, you know, I was talking to another therapist who I go to for my support. And I was saying, you know, this is pretty, pretty messed up. And we were talking about it. We said, you know, you know, should people have to disclose? Their mental illness, or really, you know, any debilitating illness, but mental illness in particular, with someone that you're dating, because if all of a sudden, you know, you find yourself in a, you know, a difficult moment, you're having an anxiety attack, you're having a uh, some form of panic attack, or a post-traumatic stress uh, trigger moment, uh, which sometimes can come, you know, by seeing someone in a crowd that reminds the person of the of the perpetrator of the bad the bad guy, so to speak, or down a certain laneway, or in a particular city, or particular. Color, particular song, all kinds of things that trigger people to then relive some of the really ugly stuff going on inside. So the, the, we just had we then began having this discussion about whether people should have to disclose their mental health to somebody. And I stand on the side of uh, if you're in a healthy relationship, you in that relationship, I think it's important that you're open and honest with each other. Of course, at a point in the relationship where you feel safe to do so. Right? So you want to make sure that you're telling someone you're in a position of uh, comfort in making the risk and, and, and taking the risk of um, sharing at that level, right? sharing that some of these gut-wrenching things. So for you to be at your best, for this relationship to be at your best, which is the purpose of this whole show, it's imperative in my mind that you're open, above board and transparent, right? So a lot of people, you know, have different opinions. I'd like to hear your opinion 877, What do you you think? And um, I'd like to know what you think. You think someone should disclose, like, should this girl, this young person have disclosed to to her boyfriend, the the young man that called me and said, hey, by the way, I have post-traumatic stress. Sometimes I have horrible dreams. Sometimes those dreams cause me to act out. You know, I mean, for the, I can remember when, when my wife Pumpkin and I first got together for the first number of years, I would have boxing dreams, uh, not necessarily nightmares, but boxing dreams where I'd wake up in the middle of night punching. And um, fortunately, never really hit her, but certainly made enough noise and uh, grunting and groaning as if I was in the ring. Uh, I can imagine that just would have been freaky to listen to. Uh, but, you know, I had to disclose that sometimes I have these dreams and I you know, don't mean. So anyway, we sit, we, we now sleep back to back and have for a very long time and and uh, we're very good like that. So, but, but my point is that, you know, it's important, I think, that people understand what we got going on. So if we need the help, we need the support. We need to be able to say, wow, I'm just having a moment, Right. Like I tell my girl all the time when I'm having an anxiety problem or I'm feeling my ADD is kicking in or my, you know, my OCD is just a little out of control. You know, we're planning a trip and, you know, she understands what makes that work for me and not work for me. And and we talk about it and we have a, a really open relationship, right? But I think, that, I think that what we need to talk about here is the openness in a relationship. I also thought that maybe people should wear an, a medic alert bracelet. My, my son says I'm crazy because no one will ever look at it. But a medic alert type bracelet that says I have, you know, in my case, I have anxiety disorder, OCD, ADD, non-medicated. And somebody that's got, let's say, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or whatever, they may have a bracelet that says schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or anxiety, whatever, medicated right? So if some, if there's a situation where they're, you know, they're having a moment, they're acting out, they're having a, an episode, if you will, right? That there's an opportunity then for someone to look at that medical bracelet and go, wow, you know, this person's having a panic attack. Uh, they're not, they're, they're on medication. I can't, you know, you can ask them, do, is your medication handy? Sometimes it's just a matter of putting a lorazepam or, or, or you know, benzodiazepine down there, you know, in their mouth so they can swallow it, right? So I think um, here, Jasper, um, Jasper here, is the, I don't know where Jasper is from, but he says or she says I'm not sure. They say uh, you should disclose, if only for your own and your partner's safety and comfort, at the point in the relationship where you feel comfortable to do so. I, it, it, that makes a lot of sense to me, right? That that's a that's a. First of all, I appreciate everybody texting us and and letting us know what's up, but um, that makes a lot of sense to me. It, 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 if you're able to. To um, you know, to share in comfort—it's the way to do it. Anyway, when you feel comfortable. So the, the point is, when should you disclose? You should p- disclose at a point of time that you start feeling comfortable in that relationship. When you feel okay to do so, right? So I would think if you're living with somebody, you've gone from dating to perhaps some some weekend sleepovers to whatever to dating to the point where you're now living together. Uh, one would say, I think that that is a reasonably good time to disclose, right? I mean, you're in the home. You know, I think that's a time to tell people, you know, what you got going on, whatever, whatever mental health or physical health issues or whatever. If you're living in the house and you're going to be there together, I think whoever you're living with deserves to know what you've got going on. Unlike this guy who woke up and his uh, partner who he loved, he loved. Anyway, what happened with them is they decided to get some treatment together. I believe that they're doing well, and she's uh, she's on her way to some level of good recovery, and and they're able to do it together, right? I have I have patients that I encourage, especially if they have a, a support that they're living with. Sometimes a mom, a dad. Sometimes a, a you know a, a peer. Sometimes it's a, you know a roommate. Sometimes it's a it's a loved one, like you know a a, a, a partner, a a spouse, if you will, if in some capacity. I, I like to include them in therapy. in in a positive way as it relates to how to support the person who's in fact my patient, right? So when you need support, so what happens if you don't disclose and you need support because you're having a difficult moment? I know people that just try to hide it. Well, you can't hide a freak out. It's really difficult to hide, to hide your symptoms. I know it's hard for me. When I have a moment, it's hard for me to hide my symptoms. It's hard for me to kind of just suck it up and, and not let you see it because it's all over me it's tense. It's tension. I start to perspire. I, I grit my teeth. I, I, I just, it's, I, I know I'm different. I see myself. I videoed it before. Yeah. It's another conversation, but anyway. Um, and when they ask, when, what's a good time to disclose when they ask, and maybe once you've discussed, discussed your stuff, ask them to discuss their stuff. You know, maybe, maybe that's, you know, before you move in, it's one of those conversations. Okay. I really love you. And I really want to do this, but, um, you know, I think, see someone else here and, uh, don't have their name, but they also suggest they text in and think you should discuss before moving in so the other person can make it make a choice. Yeah, I agree. And I and I think for the most part, if the relationship is based on that kind of love and, and, and desire to be together, if the if the guy or gal or person is the individual is 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 who you need to be with, they're gonna get it. And that and, and they're gonna be that's you know, they're gonna respond, I'm hoping, in some very positive, supportive way. Not always, but maybe, right? You got to say what you're comfortable sharing. You don't have to share everything, but you can share some of it. You can say, by the way, I have post-traumatic, in this case, I have post-traumatic stress. I came from a stressful situation where I was exposed to a traumatic situation. I don't really want to talk about it, but just understand that I, I, I have this issue. And then maybe down the road sometime, you might discuss what's behind the trauma, what's you know behind the traumatic stress. You feeling me? Anyway, only do it if you're ready. I, I think that uh, I think it's 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 a no-brainer. I think I think if you're in a relationship, people got to know what's going on. They got to know what you're feeling and how you're feeling. They got to know what makes you tick, good, bad, or indifferent, so they can be their best at helping you be your best. back. Thank you for joining us this evening. I appreciate you being here and uh, so much more to do on the show this, after, or this evening. Uh, the second uh, half of the show, we got all kinds of stuff to talk about. Uh, real quick though, before we just uh, get into the next subject, uh, our friend Ron, um, he wanted to let me know that he has Asperger's syndrome. He's 58 years old thinking he was a sociopath. He got very good at mimicking normal behavior and uh, trained well as an observer. So I'm not sure he was talking about full disclosure with his mate, but certainly talking about full disclosure with us. So appreciate uh, appreciate that, Ron. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, it, it's very helpful. And for all of you that've been sharing, I really appreciate uh, having you chime in because I don't feel so lonely. And it's just me and and Leo and our production team. So when we get outsiders hanging out with us, we really really like it. So uh, you, as an audience, you're not outsiders. You're family, right? So appreciate you so much. You um, you're sharing with us means means an awful lot. You know, um, I, I read this thing um in on social media this weekend and I wanted to share it uh, in this uh, champion segment uh because I think the uh, words of Anthony Hopkins the actor um I think he's a real champion for sharing this in social media and it's obviously something that he you know feels passionate about and obviously has lived through in his own life and come up with some decisions. So stick with me here as I read what he uh, shared um, verbatim. And uh, then we can talk about it a little bit. You can share with us here, 877-399-9898. And uh, we do so much appreciate you doing so and being part of the show here with us tonight. Um, Anthony goes on to say, uh, let go the people who are not uh, prepared to love you. This is the hardest thing you will have to do in your life. And it will also be the most important thing. Stop having hard conversations with people who don't want to change. Oh my gosh. Come on. How many times have we been stuck doing that? Trying to talk to people, you know, we're we're making changes, right? We're trying to do what we can to be the best that we can be. Right. But at the same time, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to rely on other people in our lives and wondering why they're not changing along with us and so on. it's not our job, right? So stop showing up. He goes on to say, stop showing up for people who have no interest in your presence. I know your instinct is to do everything to earn appreciation of those around you but it's boost it, it boost it boosts, but it's a boost that steals your time energy mental and physical health when you begin to fight for a life with joy interest and commitment not everyone will be ready to follow you in this place doesn't mean you need to change what you are it means you should let go of the people who aren't ready to accompany you you hearing this if you're excluded insulted forgotten or ignored by the people you give your time to you don't do yourself any favors by continuing to offer your energy or your life like at some point enough is enough the truth is that you're not for everyone and not everyone's for you and sometimes it's a family member by the way i'm adding that this is not in his text that's what makes it so special when you meet people who reciprocate love you will know you'll know how precious you are right Again, I go back to saying, and this is not in his text, but I go back to saying, if you're in a relationship with people who aren't making you feel good about yourself, you're in the wrong relationship. It's not, it's not the relationship you need to be in, right? You need to be in a relationship with people who make you feel good about yourself. And in order to do that, right, you have to be able to get rid of the people or move away from the people or uh, abandon the time you spend on the people that steal you your energy away. The more you spend your time trying to make yourself loved by someone who's unable to, the more you waste your, the, the more you waste depriving yourself, the more time you waste, excuse me, depriving yourself of the possibility of this connection to someone else. There are billions of people on this planet. And many of them will meet with you at your level of interest and commitment. The more you stay involved with the people who use you as a pillow, a background option, or a therapist for emotional healing, healing the longer you stay away from the community that you really need and want. Maybe, if you stop showing up, you won't be wanted. Maybe if you stop trying, the relationship will end. Maybe if you stop texting your phone will stay dark for weeks. Well, that doesn't mean that you ruined your relationship. It means only that you're holding on to it back with was the energy that you that it means that the only thing that you're holding back was the energy that you have to give to keep it up right This is not love. it's an attachment. If you're wanting to give a chance to those who deserve it, you deserve so much. There are people who should not be in your life. So here we have Dan, I believe, on the line. Do we, Leo, we have Dan here on the line with us? Okay. Uh, The most valuable thing uh, you have in your life is your time and energy, and both are limited. When you give your time and energy, it will define your existence. When you realize this, you begin to understand why you're so anxious when you spend time with people in activities, places, or situations that don't suit you and shouldn't be around you. Your energy is then stolen. This is more of what Anthony Hopkins is saying. You're not responsible for saving some anyone. You're not responsible for convincing them to improve. It's not your work to exist for people and give your life to them. If you feel bad, if you feel pe- compelled, if you you will be the root of your own problems fearing that they will not return the favors you've granted. It's only your obligation to realize that you are the love of that you, that you are the love of your destiny and accept the love that you deserve from others. Decide that you deserve the f- true friendship, commitment, true and complete love with healthy and pr- prosperous people. Then wait and see how much everything begins to change for you. Don't waste time with people who are not worth it. Change will give you the love, the esteem, happiness, and protection you deserve. That's written by Anthony Hopkins. So let's go back and unpack this a little bit, right? Stop showing up for people who have no interest in your presence. How many of us have a problem with this? How many of us have an issue with trying to understand um, where people are in our relationships and then You know, when you constantly show up, I have have a patient in my practice, a young person, uh, and every time she shows up to her boyfriend's house, which is a a long trek for her, um, an awful long trek for her, she's, uh, it takes her quite some time to get to his house. And when she does, all he wants to do is play video games, right? So as far as I'm concerned, you know, we have to understand where we fit with people. And when we're, and when we're doing more, like, so kind of, I come from is this. If you can, um, if you can um, look at your situation and try to understand if you're making more of a commitment than they are. So how do you do that? So look at it like this. I look at it like this. When I talk to patients or clients, talk about the work we're going to do together. I say to them, like it goes like this, right? I'm prepared to do my fifty percent in this relationship, but I need you to do your fifty percent in the relationship, right? So, I think it's important that you be in a 50 50 relationship. So, if you're showing up for people that don't really want you to be there, stop showing up. It just makes sense. And when you begin to fight, when you begin to fight for a life with your, that you enjoy for yourself and you have interest in a commitment, and there's lots of people around you. Like I find when people are getting sober or clean or changing their life around their mental health and they stop surrounding themselves with people who trigger them, right? It's a kind of a, an interesting situation because when you stop, looking at, at, for those kinds of places to be uh, uh, accepted in, you suddenly start to feel better about yourself because the people who do accept you are more like you and more willing to like you for who you are. And if you feel excluded or insulted or forgotten by people, right, and it, and you continue to reach out to them make, thinking that there's something you did to cause them to not be so into you, so to speak, probably has nothing to do with you, probably has a lot to do with them but we tend to stay in relationships that may not be good for us because it's easy. It's easier than trying to find new relationships. It's easier than taking the time to surround ourselves with people who really care, who are a good fit for us. Right? Not everybody's a good fit. It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. Right? Not everybody's a good fit. So when you find people who are a good fit, you want to enjoy those relationships. And sometimes trying to mix people who are a good fit with those that you have now that aren't such a great fit doesn't work so well. Anyway, stop working so hard at relationships that are more than 50%, where you're doing more than they are, because it's not worth it. It just doesn't make sense for you to put all the effort into a relationship that you're not being reciprocated in, right? They're not not giving it back. You're not getting it back, stop giving it. Because if you don't have a place to plug in and get back, the battery starts to run low. You know what I mean? And when you run out of energy, it's hard to live your own life, let alone the lives of others. So stop fixing the world. Stop making everyone's life better. Just focus on your own, right? We're talking, the story we're talking about is caring for the dogs of war. Ukraine's frontline soldiers take time to shelter pets caught up in the invasion. There's almost no life left in Bakhmut According to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, uh, Zelensky excuse me, uh, said on Monday, the devastation in the bloody months-long battle in eastern Europe, uh, Ukraine, soldiers as they struggle to hold their territory and, for, and survive, it's not just human lives that they're saving. Ukrainian troops recently brought a nine-year-old boy hit by shrapnel for treatment at the field hospital. His dog, Ada, who was also seriously wounded but would not have left the child's side. A bomb fragment left a round hole in the dog's ear, another pierced her side, and a third hit her back leg. I love you, I love you so much. You're a good girl, repeated Charles, an American medic, as he examined Ada. The fleeing of families displaced by invasion has given rise to at least a half a million strays, many of which are injured on the very front lines in the trenches. Ukraine's military units have been giving shelter to some of them. Soldiers from one battalion in Bakhmut uh, said that they all uh, that they take all stray dogs that they find to their bases and they take care of them. They say they find comfort in the unconditional love offered by the animals. And I got you know, we're talking about therapy uh, animals for sure. Um, in this situation, I can only imagine it gives them so much comfort. A lot of our guys have died, said one soldier. But as long as we have food, we will feed the dogs. The battalion assembled little dog houses for the strays and leaves plates of food beside each. They care for so many that they joke that they have a whole dog battalion. And the dog Adel lay quietly as she was examined with a magnet uh, with a magnet for shrapnel had an IV drip, taken an X-ray and had anesthesia. Her wounds were stitched. And a few minutes later, jumped up at the sound of the medic's voice calling to her. Soon she was looking desperately for her young owner who had been taken to main hospital, his condition was unknown. And now before we get into the story here, there's another Dan fine. He's a, a fellow in Vancouver, uh, who's going to join us here. He's uh, a, a retiree. Um, he volunteered at animal shelters on the Polish-Ukrainian border in late April. This is uh, 2022. He immediately felt compelled to return to continue to help these pets. Uh, I was on a whim. I was there uh, last time to really see what I could do to help, and I felt good about that. We did a walk with a lot of dogs and helped them heal, but I realized it was just a drop in the bucket and there's a much bigger problem. It says, fine, the founder of Ukrainian War Animals Relief Fund and my guest this evening uh dan fine welcome to the show hi hey uh i'm so excited, Thanks for having I'm so, excited me. so excited to have you here man um there's just thank so, you so much to talk about so first of all i um you were I, I wasn't quite sure but you retired from the military or retired from from business
1: actually from business yeah i've never been in the military so, so kind of kind of a weird thing to, to go over there yeah but yeah right? no just the business yeah
0: and, and I, I, you have a partner, a loved one, uh, you know, a wife, uh, anybody? Oh, that yeah. Sort of...
1: Wife of 35 years. So I was interested in listening to your last segment. But, the um, yeah, I've been married 35 years, to two adult girls, and we're living over here in Vancouver. Um, I'm, I'm actually American. I moved up here about five, six years ago.
0: So interesting question. How did they feel about you deciding to uh, head over to the Ukraine? They must have been a little freaked out, no?
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah are you crazy um, where are you going
0: come on don't go um yeah so they support all... they
1: support the cause but they were definitely concerned and worried
0: okay so um i got a you know a bunch of stuff to talk about some of the personal stuff though is um you were thinking to go over there and do this. Cause I know that you, you needed to do this. And, and uh, it, it was an important part of, you know, something that meant a lot to you, right? So if you're not sure who we're talking, talking to Dan fine, he's the founder of Ukraine war animal relief fund. We'll get to how you can help them here later on. But um, when you decided to do this, Dan um, there had to be a part of you that was somewhat nervous. And I would venture to say scared. I mean, I I would certainly have some panic issues around entering the front lines, but, was the motivation so strong that it overcame your own desires and needs at the time?
1: Yeah. It, that, that's the weird part about this is I, I really wasn't, and, and I, unlike, unlike me, I wasn't scared. I would normally be scared, but you're absolutely right. There was a flip a switch that just kind of flipped internally. And when yeah. it said, I got to go do this and this is important to me. And this became my cause. It just kind of overrode, all other things and it said you know i I gotta go do this and and of course we you know we we took a look at um how dangerous it was and and tried to prepare for that and made sure that we were being tracked and we had some backup plans and things like that but you know you never know what's going to happen over there And, and you do make stupid mistakes like i'll tell you i mean google maps needs a uh, feature you know it has a feature that says avoid toll roads it needs yeah. another feature that says avoid the front line because it yeah, doesn't no kidding you know yeah, it t- took yeah. us the wrong way a couple times
0: oh i see so there wasn't like you know you, uh, you know these days you can tell there's a caution there's an accident on the road so you you know avoid it there was not like stay away you're being shelled yeah up ahead.
1: like hey there's russians here you know i mean <laughs> it, or, or landmines you, know? yeah. you know one time it took yeah us right on, you know, right Onto a road that was like um, full of landmines and Russian soldiers in the woods, and the people that were waiting for us were like, "Why would you go that way?" And it's like uh, Google Maps, you know. And the second time um, I was traveling back, uh, we were, you know, heading to Nipro and coming back, and the Ukrainian I was with, the young lady, she looked at my, I was driving, and she looked at my phone, and she started scrolling around, and she said, "Why did you go this way?" And I said, "Google Maps said it was the shortest distance." And she's like, "Oh." you don't understand. She goes, you're American though. They'll trade for you for me. They'll rape me and kill me. And we were heading right towards the front. And we were fortunate enough that the front changes every day. Right. And right. so we, we avoided it and, and it ended up at a mili- a Ukrainian military checkpoint. And he was said, yeah, yeah, you're lucky, you know?
0: Wow. So no, no, you didn't have any armed military with you or you weren't like in a Humvee or anything like that? You're just trolling no. like a, rent, a rental vehicle out of the Ukraine airport?
1: Yeah. Uh, this time, this last time we were in a rental van that we rented in Lviv and, and we had six flat tires in one week. You know, you're hitting oh, shrapnel my. and the roads are, oh, got, you know, missile holes in them and stuff. Six flat tires win, and a flat tire is a little bit worrisome because they don't have AAA over there or any way to get it fixed. And if you have a flat tire, there's no... if uh something happens you can't leave right away so you know it's important to get it fixed but I'll tell you what happened and this is uh the beauty of the Ukrainian 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 people and how resilient and how wonderful they are uh, we had, it was just kind of beginning getting ridiculous right so in one week six tires flat all four had gone and I I pointed to one and I was a little bit worried and I said hey Christina look we got another flat and she just started laughing and she said look in ukraine you'll never be stranded and she was so right within 10 15 minutes every time someone helped us and it was either the military or a village came out to help or some guy with a pump or someone would just pull over and then drive an hour out of their way to bring us back another tire it was amazing amazing
0: I'm talking to uh, Dan Fine. He's the founder of Ukraine War Animal Fund. Uh, You can uh, reach out and be a help by going to www.gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash U W A R F for Frank. Uh, they're trying to raise two hundred and forty-five thousand dollars. They've raised two hundred and thirteen so far. So ten dollars, twenty dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars, whatever you can spare to help save these animals and assist Dan and his folks in doing what they need to do would be greatly uh, appreciated. Um, let's have. It's not just about saving the animals. There's a whole rabies issue, a disease issue that uh, comes as a result of this. Um, have a listen to the, uh, this clip from the CDC, former CDC head of uh, rabies uh, program. Hear what they hear what he has.
1: Help us do as many animals as possible. Rabies is a terrible
0: disease, terrible in its bird. Talking about case fatality nearing 100 percent, it has the highest case fatality of any infectious disease. There you go. So um Dan, welcome back. Um yeah. we're going to get to you this uh, whole issue around AB's here rabies in a second. So g- give us a you know, I don't want to belabor it, but give us an idea what was like the first time you ra- landed in the Ukraine. Uh, I guess that's where you landed, right? In Ukraine. Um Yeah, to, uh, well you're, you're, actually
1: you're, yeah, you can't you, you can't really fly there anymore because there's there's no flying. So you have to so, fly into Poland and then you take a okay. train. And so you get to Shemesh. Shemish is right on the border and then you I uh, either take a tr- uh, you know bus or train across into Lviv and then and then into Ukraine. So uh, I spent a total of 3 months over there last year um, oh w- a month at a time and you know the you asked uh, before the break you know kind of what it was like it, it's a little bit surreal uh, both both from you know never experiencing anything like this and you know living in Canada or the United States we just have no clue of yeah. kind of what it, what it feels like to be uh, having a, a neighbor like Russia just punishing you. So you've got, um, you know, a lot of places, no electricity, no heat. You know, you have uh, no gas. Uh, you know, I the fuel prices are beyond un- unbelievable. And I look at, you know, I live over here in, in a little town in Vancouver with about 45,000 people. And the last time I was there, I, we set up a clinic in a, a town in southern Ukraine called Izum. I Z Y U M, and it was really interesting. It's about the same size of the town I'm in, but eighty mm-hmm. percent of the buildings and homes are gone, demolished down to rubble. Eighty percent.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, one looks at the, yeah. one looks at what you see on uh, in the reporting, and you know it's you know it, 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 it's I, I don't want to get into the, excuse me, excuse me the whole political side, but you know I don't know what Russia if Russia plans to take over the Ukraine they're going to take over rubble because they're not leaving anything behind that's of any substance. And, uh, you know, any, any value, any commercial value in terms of real estate and all that is as, at least from what you see in in the pictures. Um, I assume it, it looks yeah. like that, but, uh, okay, oh, it so we, yeah. yeah, we know that rabies is a big issue. Um, give us an idea of how that kind of played into your whole process there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, sorry, that's my dog barking at me wanting to play, okay. uh, say toys, hi for me, but <laughs> You know, the, the, here's the, the interesting part. We learn, we learn every time we go over there, and we learn from the Ukrainians. And what we learned was that, you know, first of all, you have got 12 million people that have refugeed out. So either they're moved to the other side of Ukraine, or they lost their homes, or they're dead, or whatever it is. Yeah. And if you think about that, in, in Canada, we have a 60% pet ownership. So 12 million times 60%. You can't fly out. Uh, a lot of the bridges are, are wasted uh, so a lot of people even don't have cars anymore they're blown up or they just can't drive so if you have to take a train you can't take your animal with you and so they leave them at the train station or they just throw them over the fence at the shelter and they have no choice and you can imagine you know what that does to you as a pet owner uh, like oh, yeah. you were talking about the, the yeah, kid that it. had the the that dog that got you know i saw lots of dogs with shrapnel in it and bullets in it. Yeah. one one dog had eight bullets Wow. Survived amazingly. Another one that, uh, you know, had his ears blown off because the missile hit next to him. I mean, it took down the building and uh, the thing couldn't walk. Um, but and are these so are these they, dogs also
0: left. are these dogs also sick? I mean, are the is is rabies a thing there? Is that because well, obviously
1: this so, played into the piece. So, so, Yeah, here's what happened is, is so you've got, you know, millions of dogs and they're replicating because they had a low sterilization rate in Ukraine. So, you know, before the war, it was about 35%. We have 86% in Canada. So with with that rate, you're getting an avalanche of animals coming and they are on the street. They don't have owners right now. They were pets. They're They're going into the woods to find food. They're looking for food. When they get there, Ukraine had a kind of a high uh, rabies. I just knocked over my glasses. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, they go into the woods and they're looking for food and they meet the wolves and the foxes. And right now there's no hunting in Ukraine Uh, because you can't go into the woods where there are landmines and there's Russian soldiers firing a gun. And on right. top of that, uh, the Russian soldiers, if you get caught, make you strip naked in the, in the cold so they can look for the contusions on your shoulder to see if you've been shooting a gun, you know, at ah. them. And they look for any wow. Ukrainian tattoos. Like, so anyways, rabies is, is going 10x, and then you multiply that with the avalanche of canines that are happening, and cats are even worse. Then all these rabies are going to happen, and you, then they're going to start crossing the border because they don't come to the border crossing and just go, you know, hey, here's my passport. They go into Romania, Poland, yeah. and Belarus, wherever yeah. they want. Yeah. And you know who gets affected the most is children because yeah. they're small to the ground. They're, and then they're like, hey, dog, and they're not afraid, and they get bit on the face and the neck, and then you've got 100% fatality because they don't have the rabies vaccine over there. And uh, it's very expensive. So, so, uh, so, how many, pets, um,
0: you you're, 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 how many pets do you think your 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 How many pets do does your team anticipate um, are in the war zone? Like, in other words, when you when you're going in with your team, which are Canadians, Ukrainian, Polish, uh, I assume you recruit people from all over. Um, th- there is there is there a number? Like, do you have a, a target? Yeah.
1: Or- yeah, we do. So, um, we we believe there are, there are at least two million right now that are newly you know abandoned wow. on the street that weren't there before um, wow. and we think we think the magic number is 400,000 that we need to sterilize so far we've done 4,000 and we're going back on wow. uh, March 5th to Kyrgyzstan, which is uh, November 11th got kind of re liberated and we'll do at least a thousand there but we're we're really got to go hard to do you know 400,000 and the good news is that we we struck up a relationship with the Association of um, Veterinarian Universities and and Colleges. And so they have the locations that we can use, and they have local vets. So we don't have to bring veterinarians in. We can just use local Ukrainian veterinarians who are kind of unemployed right now. No one's got any money over there. And they can do this for us.
0: And you're providing the vaccines and such as well, right?
1: We actually buy them locally because they have to be kept cold. And it's actually a problem because we you know if the electricity is out they're not cold yeah, so we it. try to you'll get them exactly. as close to it yeah as close to the where we're going to perform
0: the little doggy that i hear in the background from time to time which is so cute is that a rescue
1: yeah, you No, know, he's not he's a the therapy dog uh, i've had him for about 8 years uh, his name is Kal-El, which if you remember was superman's name on krypton yeah, yeah. Uh, and anyways he's a great oh. dog but he's you know, ever since COVID happened, he's gotten really like a needy. <laughs> <He> <laughs> follows all... me everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah. how do
0: you, how do you keep yourself? How do you keep yourself from you know grabbing like a handful of these pets and bringing them back with you? I mean, other than I'm sure your wife would throw you out.
1: Oh uh, yeah. But yeah, you
0: know, you know is, is it um, is that a Super difficult hard. decision for you to sort of leave them behind, so to speak?
1: Yeah. You know what? I'm not a crier, but I've cried so many times over there. I've cried so many times and I'll tell you, there's, there's two dogs that I'd say there's three actually that, that really grab my heart. But uh, just recently when, when we were over the last time we were going through one of the military checkpoints and they said, Hey, you know, and you you were right on when you were talking about, you know, the, they, the dogs gravitate to to them because they've got fires going and they get fed and they get played with. So they said we got a dog for you, and I said, gee, you know, we're we're heading down south. Uh, I got a full van. You know, we got to drop off some dogs. We got pet food. You know, one and a half tons of pet food. We're distributing." Yeah. So I said, "We'll grab on the way back." And so when we came back, it was really late at night. It's snowing. It's cold. You know, they got the fire going, and they said, "Here's the dog." And I said, uh, "What's his name?" And they said, Burrat. So, Burat, what's that mean? Because it means rat eater. <laughs> oh, oh rat eater. Well, it turns out the Burat is actually a nomadic tribe in Siberia. I found that out, and it's kind of a derogatory term. Um, These are people that have never even seen a toilet. And they found this dog, and he was eating dead Russian soldiers for food.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And that's why they call him ratty
0: yeah, it's a, and, a terrible terrible it. story dad but before unfortunately we got, yeah. we're got we running out of time but before I let you go okay. how do people how do people get to Ukraine War Animal Fund real quick here you got 10 seconds yeah, how do they just, find you just,
1: just go to that GoFundMe uh, GoFundMe.com and then slash UWARF U-W-A-R-F or we've got a website UWARF.org